know that there is something magical inside of you, but you don't know how to uncover it? The Heart Sing Podcast is dedicated to just that, helping you put yourself first and figure out what lights you up. I'm your host, Addie B, aka Slayer of Namaslayer, and through my journey of losing nearly 100 pounds, uncovering the magic of my soul, and building the life of my dreams, I'm leaving no stone unturned in the process of self-discovery. And I'm here to share it all with you, so let's get started. Welcome to the Heart Sing Podcast. I'm your host, Addie B, aka Slayer of Namaslayer. I want to start this week off a little differently and read you a passage from The Essence of the Upanishads, A Key to Indian Spirituality by Eknath Iswaran. This is also where the chariot story with Prey and Shreya is that I talk about throughout this podcast and will share with you here as we understand how practicing the tapas or discipline, the third niyama and the second limb of the yoga sutras, in which we are exploring how it affects all matters of our lives and those big questions we talked about last week, the purpose of life. And how on earth does this relate or help me attain something as seemingly as elusive as that healthy body I've always dreamed of? I want to put in a little perspective with this passage from Iswaran's interpretation of one of the books of the Upanishads, an ancient text from before the dawn of time, they say. So he says here, we are talking here about overcoming death. That is the stake for which we are playing. Petty stakes like pleasure and profit cannot be mentioned in the same breath and the game is not open for long. You are at the craps table and it's time to place your bets. The wheels spin, hopes rise and fall, and then the counter is over. The king of death reaches in to rake in the counters of life. Life is too small for to play for nickels and dimes. We are meant to break the bank. Think about this. Are we playing small? When we choose to do all these things that are not good for us, but they taste better, they're fun and sexy, you know, does this not shorten our counter, our life counter? And the purpose of most spirituality philosophy, well, everything I've encountered so far is to help guide us to this one place, this realization that we are so much more than these bodies in this life but also that the body is a portal to that self-discovery and that in exploring and finding what our true self is, we in essence cheat death because we realize there is no death. There's only this place of infinite possibilities. And this, my friends, this brings us the freedom. And we catch glimpses of this on our paths as yoginis or yogis. Any spiritual path you take that's the dive inside yourself and you stop seeking outside for the solutions and rather you start looking inside. It's in this that we start to break the bank. The small pleasures we see for what they are, just distractions. But how do we get there? It just seems impossible, right? I know it did for me. I mean... Also, if it was easy, wouldn't we just all be enlightened? And why can't we be born that way? But we are born that way. We're just trying to find our way back there. Here's the thing, though. If you are one who is brave enough to dare to ask what if, and you start to venture away from the safety of those choices for pleasure and start to live a life of more discipline, you'll find glimpses of this bliss that is beyond anything these simple pleasures can bring us, These the pizzas, wine, Netflix, all these quick dopamine hits to the head. The longer-term rewards are so much more satisfying but a little harder to get to. 
This is why the tapas can also be part of us learning to do hard things, showing up when we don't want to. Could this just be the perception shift you've been waiting for? It might be. It's been a big one on my journey of losing over 100 pounds by seeking better choices and becoming more of the observer of myself each time I made that choice. And this is where these tapas of the Niyama Lima Yoga come in. And by yoga, again, I'm speaking of the joining of body, mind, soul, and not the physical practice that we associate with it most frequently. And tapas is translated as self-discipline discipline, austerity, or right effort. And you can apply the principles of tapas to literally any goal or any practice in life. Generating tapas is creating the self-discipline, the passion, and the courage to transform, the courage to make those choices that seem not as sexy in the moment, but you know will serve you better in the long term. Tapas is derived from the root Sanskrit verb tap, which means to burn. And when we cultivate these tapas, we're creating that fiery energy that gets our heart pumping. It creates a desire for us to want to grow personally. It gives us this desire to want to change our lives. And the burning will also be experienced as we detoxify. You might see this as you practice meditation, for example, and we have warm feelings throughout your body. These can be your emotions releasing, you're detoxifying, or maybe you feel this after you get a massage even. Like you're detoxifying all of those emotions that are built up and your muscles are all bunched up. And the same can be said on the yoga mat as we practice postures and start to warm our bodies up or perhaps push them to spaces where we feel a bit of a burn as we work through the stress knots we've accumulated in our bodies. I don't know about you guys, but especially my hips after sitting at my computer all day. And we'll talk more about asana yoga, which is the practice of yoga on the mat in an upcoming episode when we get into that. Today, we're going to focus more on tapas that guide your life, these things we can like learn to cultivate to see if we can live even bigger. And when we create the tapas, no longer does going to do meditation or journal or hike a mountain seem like work or a chore. We start to make the choice because of how good it makes us feel on the other side of it. And we start playing this game of life for higher stakes. And tapas are the passion we activate when we practice this self-discipline. And I know this sound it's nuts, right? It's also exactly what building healthy habits does. It's a, virtually the same thing, right? We can apply the habit cycle just as easily as tapas. I remember when I first started my journey, I would head out to walk telling myself, just five minutes out, just five minutes. And then I found a path under the freeway to the mountain and five turned into 60 and it became a part of who I was and I craved it. I could see myself saying no to things the night before, happy hour invites, late night dinners or a show because I wanted to be up early on the mountain. That was not at first appealing to me at all, I promise you. It might seem appealing, like, oh, the mountain's pretty. But when your alarm goes off the next morning, it seems much more appealing to hit snooze and stay in bed. But as I got up over and over, you know, instead of being get up, get ready, hit work ASAP girl and not take a couple hours for myself, it became the opposite. And how could I get more time for me? It was very eye-opening, and you can do this too with any habit. 
the tapas create this energy, this desire within us. And we naturally want to start going to bed early, drinking less, eating less, so we can feel better and get to those things that now make us feel good and radiate. This is why it's extremely helpful to understand the habit process too, which I've talked about pretty extensively in this podcast. I'll link a couple of the habit episodes in the show notes if you want to go back or dive deeper after this and really work on this aspect of yourself. The building new habits is a practice of self-discipline. And through this, we better serve us and we can transform within our habits, the actions we are take, they're a direct reflection of our health. So when we can do this process of transformation from the place of the observer, the witness, as we screw it up and we can take a look like that scientist, we can amplify our success because we don't have all the judgment in the way. And the tapas energy also has this power to burn away those thoughts that hold us down, those limiting beliefs of lack of self-worth. Igniting the fire you can tap in through the root chakra, the Manapura chakra. This is the center that governs self-confidence, inner strength, will, and self-discipline. It's the element of transformation. And this is the very base chakra. You'll often see it identified as a a red color. And there's a lot of things you can do to really tap into that chakra area. And as we learn to fail and step away from perfect and these, all of these small lessons add up and have such a huge impact on our lives, right effort or the willingness to make a different decision and do the work to make better choices, you can apply this to anything in your life. You just pause, make a different decision. You can develop tapas as you practice and you focus on your health goal. You commit, you figure out what you can do, you fail, you learn, you get back up. Let's think about commitment for a minute. Commitment to ourselves. So often we show up for everyone else but ourselves. How can you start to flip the script on that? Have you already? I'll talk about some ways at the end of this episode you can put into practice. And one of the goals of tapas is to stop anything you're doing mindlessly because it's become habituated, even the healthy things. You free yourself from the unconscious effort when you're in the act of awareness. You're freeing yourself from suffering. As Patanjali shares in the Yoga Sutras 217, The cause of suffering is that unbounded self is overshadowed by the world. In other words, anytime we're suffering, it's as simple as we've forgotten who we truly are. And for many of us, we are in the process of remembering who that is. You can start to separate the self, even as you realize the wholeness of everything. And then you'll experience the freedom that is awareness. To better help illustrate this, I have to tell you the chariot story I got. And as I mentioned earlier, this is from the essence of the Upanishads. I'm going to tell you the part of the story about Nachiketa, and which I'm going to attempt to say his name this time. I renamed him to Nathan in the other episode. But Nachiketa, he is seeking the king of death to learn the meaning of life. And this story starts out as Nachiketa gets in a fight with his dad, and his dad basically tells him he wishes he was dead. And rather than getting upset, this makes him think about the big questions of life. (laughs) Like, who am I? Why am I here? What happens after death? That's interesting, right? 
Most of us, I think, can think of moments in our lives where we these questions come up and we ponder them, but then they pass and carry on. But not not Chiquetta. He's a badass teenager, invincible and full of conviction of himself. He's not yet dissuaded by the ways of the world. He's on a mission, a hero's journey. And as a side note, here is Warren talks, the author, he talks about having read many such journeys of heroes. And I thought it was interesting because of my affinity for building future self superheroes as part of the process to dream big, because the quest starts on the outside. We all think it does, but invariably it ends up on a journey looking within. And so our, our hero here, Nachiketa, um, it starts his journey where it's boundless in the mind because he settles into deep meditation for three days. Can you imagine? We struggle with 30 minutes. Anyhow, the kid is in meditation and he sets off an infinite space of his mind to seek the king of death. And the king of death isn't home. He's busy, right? But his servants are there, depression, pain, war, and disease. And they begin to tell him that he may never see the king of death. He's too busy, you know, with pandemics and war and famine and all the other things he has going on. Nachiketa sits down and announces he'll wait. He's determined to get to the bottom of these questions. He wants to know the secret of life, the secret of death. So he sits and waits for three days and three nights in deep meditation, no food, no drink, no sleep, just waiting for the king of death. And eventually on the third day, the king of death comes back and has decided that Nachiketa is a worthy pupil for having waited so long, so patiently. And then the lessons begin. And King of Death tells Nachiketa that there are five levels of consciousness reached in meditation. But not only in meditation, they must be translated into living in life. The first layer is physical, our bodies. Then three layers, senses, emotion, and the intellect. And the nearest to the self is the ego or the sense of I. And very few people, he tells them, can penetrate this later. He tells Nachiketa he will have to make this discovery himself, but he will be there as a guide and tell him how, but he has to take the journey on his own. Well, Nachiketa, being a badass teenager he is, is totally game, and he wants to know the secret of life. So the king of death tells him, first, he must understand that we have the ability to make choices. No other creature has this, and we should not avoid the responsibility. Each moment has a choice of two paths. And the Sanskrit names don't have a perfect translation, so we'll use them and define them. Praya and Shreya. Praya pleases the ego. These are the sexy decisions. These are the things the marketers use to get our attention of our senses and our minds, right? This will taste good. Drinking this thing will make you look good like this woman. Have an amazing white wine and relax without a care of the world in your yacht or go off and party in Vegas with your friends and have the time of your life. You don't see the picture of the hangover the next morning, right? Or Shreya, the other choice, that which benefits us, improves our health and mind. This is a choice that serves us much better in the long run as we take care of our mind, body, and soul, just as in a sexy, maybe like going to the library, right? Or going off on a solo retreat somewhere. Preya pleases us now. Shreya is often unpleasant, but appreciated in the end. 
like getting started back at the gym or doing push-ups, at first it's hard and you don't see the rewards, but after a little while you're at it and it gets easier and you start to see your strength build, your bat wings go down and you don't mind those push-ups. So you add a few more in. This is Shreya. Relating this to food choices is easy. Prey is all dressed up like a ooey gooey pizza slice and all your favorite toppings, and Shreya is the big salad. Not unattractive, she's a pretty big salad, but maybe forgettable. That pizza from your favorite joint, or the burger, or the cake, or whatever your thing is, you get the idea, right? That's Preya. So Nachiketa does too, but he's even sharper than us, so he persists, and he says to the king of death, there must be more to the story than just making a decision, because we don't always get where we want to go. And the king of death is so pleased with this student, and he's so wise already, and it goes on to explain how Prey and Shrey are like forks in the road. One path leads to darkness, and the other to wisdom. If you could see the end of the, each path, you would see the darkness that's at the end of Praya and at the end of Shreya, the world full of abundance, light, love, and a magical garden. But you can't see the end. You can only see the start of the path. And Praya has a big, sexy billboard advertising fun party with your girlfriends, sipping wine in Vegas. Or, And the other path going to Shreya maybe has like a barren desert with a spiritual cleansing retreat that shows you alone in meditation in a mountain cave crying, which kind of sounds a little wonderful, but that's because I'm a weirdo, right? <laughs> There's a chariot on this road, you guys. In this chariot on this road where these two paths merge off of, the chariot symbolizes your body, the physical self, and it's drawn. Your chariot is pulled by these five feisty horses, which travel through time more than distance, from birth to death. These horses are your senses. They're out there leading the charge, your sight, hearing, taste, feel, and smell. Now, the intellect responsible for the judgment, he's the driver. His job is to not let the senses, these horses, take us over a cliff. And the reins he holds are the mind, emotion, and desires. They're supposed to communicate from the driver to the horse, from the horse to the driver, rather. The self is the rider in the chariot. Your unbounded self, your soul or spirit is the experiencer inside. And when our senses, the horses, are controlled, we're in harmony. We operate from ourselves. This version of us, let's call her our highest self, you know, the one that takes the proverbial high road. When we chase preya and allow our senses to go wild, we're out of balance. And picture yourself in the chariot and your body has just had a long day of work making decision after decision. You're in decision fatigue here. And yourself inside that made the plan earlier this week asked the driver of your chariot to take you to Sprouts for some groceries. You know, that place you're going to go get the healthy food. And you notice after a few minutes, your driver, your intellect holding the reins of your horse is not going to Sprouts. You lean out the window and you yell up to the driver, hey, this isn't the way to Sprouts. The driver slurring slightly, tipped over, half holding the reins because um, he's been tying on a few while you were at work all day. He's tired. He tells you not to worry. He's got this. And he, he pulls into you sloppily to your favorite happy hour where the margaritas are like five bucks and the chips don't stop flowing. And only after you have a few of those do you tell your driver, hey, I told you we're not going to eat like crap today. 
Your driver, your intellect is laughing at you because he's heard it before and he knows the horses have been run in the carriage, not you, not the person inside. Our intellect is all numbed out and has bad habits built up from all the quick rewards, the road of Preya we've been taking. Half the time we're too tired, too depleted to take the road of Shreya. And the king of death tells us it's not a moral issue. He does not care. Says it's up to us to choose. Doesn't matter to him one way or another. It's our choice to take the road where it leads. The road of Preya, though, should you choose that, does not lead to long-term health and happiness. Remember, that is where all of our ignoring our souls and satisfying all of our urges lead to darkness, sickness in our bodies and our minds. He also talks about in the um, essence of the Upanishads about how we always think everyone else will be the one to die, that we never think it can be us. And think about these reins, your mind, your emotion, your desires that are to be guided by the intellect to control your senses. Understanding this separation helps us to observe and make changes. I was listening to Shaman Durek this week in his book, um, Spirit Hacking, and he was talking about emotional intelligence and how shamans know they are not their emotions. Their emotions are there to tell them something. And what can I learn from this emotion? And to know that after this emotion is experienced, there'll just be another emotion. It's just part of being in this vessel and part of how our bodies are communicating to us. But they are not us. And it's not a part of us. And to start to understand this separation, like, for example, if you say you're depressed, it's not you who's depressed. The mind and reins are depressed. You're in the chariot. You're not these things. You are not the reins, the driver or the horses. When you can start to see that, can you? Can you see it? That you're the one inside for the ride already. You can see your emotions happen. You can see yourself speak. You can see yourself listening to me right now. That is the you in the chariot, the observer. And this is a lesson of the king of death, from the king of death to Nachiketa, to understand and live life, not from your senses, but from guiding your intellect to the choices of Shreya, the ones that lead us to happiness and health. And this is why you must take time to put yourself first, not only so you can fuel yourself before you help others, but so you can get control of your chariot. You can train your horses. You can make decisions and build better habits that will take you down the path of Shreya to health, wellness, and happiness, and not quick, feel-good dopamine habits. Who's in control of your chariot? Is your intellect, your driver, being used with discernment, making decisions toward a healthier, vibrant you, or is your intellect a bit tipsy? I was letting my senses drive my chariot and my intellect was in like friggin wasted for years. She meant well, but she was like too easily swayed when she got tired or didn't have time to think or have a plan. If we don't start listening, something may jump in and wake us up like my 300 pound Paul misery did for me. It started my quest and myself inside the chariot was banging on those walls bringing me into that ball, telling my driver to wake up before we hit a dead end of darkness. And this is where the tapas come in. The discipline we cultivate by making the choices of Shreya to live your life with more turns to the path of self-discovery growth made from love and not fear. But what are some of the things we can do now to cultivate more tapas in our life? 
what can help us make more of these choices on the path of Shreya so we can find that contentment we're desiring? I mean, after all, we've spent a lifetime getting these rewards from these other quick hits. How do we do this? And the tapas are everything in the Me First Guide process I talk about and created. It's about stepping away from perfect and learning to make better choices, one baby step at a time, to start to build trust with ourselves. Many of us have spent our lives showing up for other people and pushing our needs and desires on the back burner. Selflessness is actually found or accomplished more of as we seek the self. It's on this path that we uncover our joy and love for all beings equally and our desire to serve each person we encounter amplifies more and more as we live in this space. And it's not easy. Our horses are well-trained. Hell, how some of us have like derby winners in the race for Praia. The good news, you know how I like to leave you with some good news. You can train these guys and you can live in alignment with yourself, our unbounded self. That is something more. That's something more you've been looking for. We all wake up at some point and say, there has to be something more than this. What does it take to find it? A commitment to being on this hero's journey, which like Nachiketa might start outside of you and eventually, as all hero stories do, end up on the inside where true transformation exists. And we've talked about in the last few weeks about Saucha, the purity of cleaning spaces in our bodies, minds, and souls. And then about Santosha, peaceful contentment, accepting things just as they are and finding peace and happiness in each moment. And with the tapas, this is where we take action and start to detoxify and see possibilities of this discipline. The discipline can actually be self-love, just like can give me love for your kids when you teach them right from wrong. The trick is to do this without judgment. It does not matter how many times you've been down the path of praya. It doesn't matter what you've done. The king of death doesn't care, remember? It's not a moral issue. It's just a choice. One you can make without a bunch of drama about how you're the worst person ever, and you can start to reprogram your mind and body to live in more unity and take you on that path to the sunny magic garden. I mean, the king of death doesn't even care what what you've done. Release yourself for crying out loud. Just because you failed a hundred times before doesn't mean you can't get back up and make a different choice. Ask yourself a few things. If you knew that the stakes of your game were higher, that you didn't have much time to live, for example, or found out you were ill, would you live differently than you are now? And why? Get honest with yourself and put your scientist hat on. Again, it's not to judge yourself, but to take a look so you can see where you want to go. How do you want to change? This vision is your first step in transformation. Write how you would live differently. How and why? Are you not getting to your goal because you're not showing up? I just did a monthly goal planning in the group, and part of the process is to figure out what your challenges are and making commitments to overcome them. So write these down for yourself, not just thinking, I'm going to eat better, stating what you're going to do specifically and what tools are going to help you. Remember, your driver gets tired, so you're making changes and training the horses. You need to get specific and think for your driver ahead of time. Have those answers prepared for when the driver is wasted and wants to take you to happy hour. You've already got it handled. James Clear said in his Atomic Habits book that most of us think we're lacking motivation, but really we lack direction. Give yourself direction to Shreya. Get it on your calendar. Get specific, plan, and commit. 
And when you see yourself not show up for you, don't get discouraged and quit. Instead, ask, okay, why and how can I get better? Can I make it easier? Can I make it more attractive? Are you showing up for everyone but yourself? Where's the trust for yourself and how do you build it? When your horses have been all running all willy-nilly, allowed to chase whatever they want, it's going to take some reining in. But just like a new puppy, it can be done. Use the habit cycle. Pick one habit you want to add. I find it's always easier to add what you want rather than to take away. For example, I added to be earlier on the mountain, which effectively eliminated happy hours so I could do that. There was much more work in that, of course, but remember what you focus on is what you get. So put in your mind, surround yourself with people that want the same things as you. We're hardwired to exist in tribes. Find yours. Find the people that have the habits you want and start to cultivate them for yourself. Don't compare yourself. Rather, open yourself to learning and growing. Become the scientist of your life. Accept where you are right in this moment and know it's beautiful that you are perfectly wonderful just the way you are and whole and complete. And remember, if you're choosing to focus on what you can't have and you tie all this energy into it, you're just going to bring more of that to yourself. So focus on what you will have on the other side, how you will feel after hiking the mountain that day or doing your plan or eating the salad. Your brain will take longer to get there. But if you keep your focus there, it will help you generate that tapas. See it, have a vision, a plan, and put your energy and focus in that on the positive action. This is why so many people think discipline or restricting things is bad because they have this energy tied into what they can't have rather than what they can. So in their mind, it's, oh, poor me, I can't have the wine and pizza versus, oh yeah, I'm going to be up at 5 a.m. for the sunrise on the mountain. It's going to feel so good and my day is going to be radiant. See the difference? You choose where to focus and how to train your brain. You might not think you don't do, but you do. Flip the script. It is your choice. You can create this burning desire in yourself to do these things. These tapas show up even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. Do you know how many people give up at month two of a new habit? That is the messy middle, my friends. You have to push through the mess of training to get to the tapas, to get to that burning desire. Pick one thing you need to commit to for change and start with these baby steps to cultivate the tapas. Like when I started my walk in the morning, it was painful to get out the door sometimes. So I used all the habit tricks in the book until I became. I set my shoes by the door. I had my podcast picked out, my clothes ready. I set a mini habit. So it was so ridiculous. I'd be crazy to not show up. Just that little five minutes. I even advertised I was going to be live on the mountain at 7 a.m. Yes, if you were following me then, that's how I created the tapas for that habit. (laughs) Now it's just something I love and I crave. I used my accountability to others as I was building the trust with myself. How will you commit to show up? How about a plan? Do you have one? Do you have your path laid out? And do you honor the plan? This is still a work in progress for me. It feels so good when I do. What I find is I don't plan enough downtime for myself, so I'm really working on that. I'll schedule myself into a corner and then fight with my wild horses to get out of it. This has been my lesson and working through that still. There are things you will find out when you get in the game, when you stop playing for pennies and when you go big. 
step into the fear of the unknown. You start playing for the long game of real transformation, not these quick little this diet, that diet, these quick little fixes. One baby step at a time. And as you step away from perfect, saying to yourself, no matter what, no matter how many times I fail to get to that goal I want, I'm getting back up. Are you raising the stakes of your game? Are you ready to bring down the house? I hope so. But let's do it together on that road to Shreya. I'm quite looking forward to my spiritual retreat with you. (laughs) How fun will that be? We need to plan one stat. So you guys, go play big. Jump in. What have you got to lose? Until next week, my witches and bitches. Slayer out. 